I'd start out with this one. I might grab that other one. God bless you. It's just a privilege for us to be together tonight. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 27, if you would. Matthew 27, verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. When they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. And they were coming to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull. They gave him vinegar to drink, mingle with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. I would like to be remembered tonight in prayers. We pray and ask God's blessings over the word. Heavenly Father, we count it such an honor that we could be gathered together again here tonight, Lord, in your presence. We thank you for each one of these young people. We thank you, Father, for the adults that are here to prepare the food and serve and all of that. We so appreciate each of them. Brother Rob, we thank you for his commitment, him and Sister Sarah, Lord, and Brother Joe, and each one that's here, Lord, the musicians, um, the brothers on the sound, we're just thankful for each one that's put forth their effort to be here. We pray tonight that you would help us. Lord God, help me to get out of the way, that you could use me for a few moments to speak something to their hearts that would help them. You saw their hands that were uplifted. You know the needs and the requests there. I pray that you'd grant it, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I'd like to speak to you for just a little bit tonight on what all of us, of course, have heard since we were children. Many of you were raised in church and in Sunday school. and The cross and Calvary and the blood was part of the foundation of what we heard about. But I'd like to speak to you tonight on that day on Calvary. There's three things that we'd like to look about, about tonight at, at Calvary. What that day was, what that day did for us, and what we can do for that day. It truly was up to that particular time, the greatest day 
that had ever dawned upon the earth. Although the setting that we would read from tonight wouldn't seem like a great day. They spit upon him, they mocked him, they ridiculed him, they stripped his clothes off of him, put a purple robe on him, put a scepter, fake scepter, a rod in his hand. They laughed at him, they ridiculed him. What would look like shame and dishonor and great reproach, yet it would turn out to be one of the greatest days that man would have ever known. And yet, for the people that was doing it, they were laughing, jeering, making fun of him, ridiculing him. Now keep in mind, this is, of course, the Lord Jesus. How many of us wants to be like him? But not this way, though, do we? This is a painful way, isn't it? This is painful. It hurts me to, to read about it. It hurts me to, uh, in my mind, envision uh, what he must have went through. And even though Matthew declares it very vividly, Luke a little different, Mark a little different, John a little different. But I'm sure that they, even themselves, could not have caught what it was in the eyes of God. Why was this day necessary? It was because our Father in the Garden of Eden forfeited his rights to eternal life. When he forfeited his rights, he forfeited ours. All the human race was standing there in the balance in the Garden of Eden. The Bible doesn't really tell us how enlightened that Adam really was to the future. We don't know if he had an understanding that there would have been countless of generations of people. If he knew there would be billions of people that would live on the face of the earth, was his understanding somewhat darkened to what he was going to do? That by trading out the book of life there in the Garden of Eden, that he would put all of these billions of people under this curse. But Adam, of course, in that sense, he was acting out of what the Lord Jesus would do later. But I want you to remember with me tonight that sin actually did not begin in the Garden of Eden. Sin never started in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't whenever Eve believed the lie of the devil. Sin did not start actually whenever Adam forfeited his rights. But sin started in heaven. Now, that might be hard for us to understand. Thinking, in such a holy, perfect place, but that's exactly where sin started. And God, because of that, he knew that there would be a day that would be absolutely essential to be Calvary. What a day that it would be. All of humanity, of the elect, would wait for that time. They would long for the time of redemption when man could be called back into his rightful place. And yet, here it stands. Would it look like a deliverer to any of us? If we would have stood there that day and we would have been out in the crowd of the Jews or the Gentiles, which would have been right on the outside, and if we would have stood there and we would have looked at this man and we peer through the gates and we see a man there that was not, not a very big man at all, not a large man, a man of small stature, a man that was so misunderstood that some called him a devil, some called him God. They didn't know exactly even who he was. But yet, a man that would be able to suffer all of this that we just read about. And would we have understood 
what was going on. The disciples didn't. They were there. They loved him. But they didn't understand what he was going through. It was the sin question that is now going to be answered. That day on Calvary would totally eradicate the power of sin on Adam's race. Now what's amazing is that it started this great work and yet we're still dealing with it to this day. But to many of you that are sitting here tonight and those that will hear this service, the power of sin has already been eradicated in your life. You will never be a sinner again because of what? That day on Calvary. So that day on Calvary, the prophet says it this way, and I wasn't going to go this way tonight, but I felt led of the Lord to listen to this sermon today, that day on Calvary. And as I did, it was like the Lord just pulled me into this place and just started dropping this stuff in my heart. And I put this sermon together in maybe 30 or 40 minutes, which is not like me at all. Generally, it takes me days because of the way that I study. But Brother Bram said the one great and important thing about Calvary, what it means to us and to the world, is that it settled the sin question once and for all. Man was found guilty of sin, and sin was a penalty that no man could pay. So God orchestrated this whole thing in a way that the judgment price would be so high that no mortal could ever pay it. Why would he do that, Brother Donnie? He did it so that he himself would be the only one that could pay it. Because if any man could pay that sin penalty, then that man would be able to say, I do not need Jesus Christ as my Savior. Now you realize no matter what good we do and the things that we do to help people and all of that, none of that will ever pay our sin penalty. Is that right? We must have him to do it. No, 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 it doesn't make any difference how long you've been saved. I, I'm probably the oldest person in the building tonight, me and Carol, and we've probably been saved more than, longer than you all have. And I've done a lot of things for the Lord by his grace. I'm glad to say that. Praise the Lord. I've helped a lot of people around the world preach thousands of sermons on all kinds of things. But if you'd pile all that together in one pile, it wouldn't get me that high off the ground. It would not buy me five minutes worth of salvation. There's nothing any of us can do to be able to get that. Because the price was too high. So God set it to where that there was only one person that can pay the penalty, and that would be him himself. So that day on Calvary, now notice Brother Ram goes on to say, the penalty of sin was death, and we were all born in sin. Shape and iniquity come to the world speaking lies. So none of us were worthy. It wouldn't make any difference who it was. Moses, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, none of the prophets, none of the great songwriters, musicians, there's no way for it to be. Now, he, he goes on to say sin did not start in the earth, but sin actually started in heaven. The devil was a condemned creature that was cast to the earth, he said, for his disobedience. And he said, sin began in heaven. So what did Calvary mean? He says, that's what Calvary meant. Men were in bondage. They were set free. Men that were once under fear of death can no longer fear death. Our sins are gone. Praise the Lord. Our sins are gone. That day at Calvary paid the price. 
So first of all, we want to look at what that day was. So it's going to bring man to a place to where that man can finally be set free from sin. Now, would he make mistakes every day of his life thereafter? But yet, that changed nature inside of him will never revert back to being a sinner again. Aren't you grateful for that tonight? How many of y'all still make mistakes? Oh, the rest of you is lying. You might as well raise your hands too. We all do. And that's the human part that we will despise and deal with every day of our life. But once you're totally converted and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you will never be a sinner again. It's totally impossible. That nature is eradicated. What made that possible? That day on Calvary. Now, no doubt many of you have fallen like I've fallen. Your moms and dads, the great people that you honor and respect, and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And what do we do when we do that? We go right back and we repent and we make that thing right with God. Is that right? But it does not mean that we need to be resaved again or rebaptized again, but it simply means that we repent and confess our sins and the Lord cleanses us. How is that possible? That day on Calvary. Aren't you glad the Lord Jesus didn't have to come in every church age and die in every church age and face the same death over and over? This death was so powerful. It produced such a release from sin. It was once and for all. Once and forever. That makes me feel like shouting right now. He does not have to do it again and again and again. It was so powerful. It released every child of God that was going to come in the future. Think of how many millions times millions of people have accepted that day. Now, sad about it is many of them don't go any farther than that day, but at least thank God they accept that day. Will many people be saved that don't know what you and I know? Yes, they will. They will not be bright, but they will be saved. On what basis? Because they accept that day on Calvary. But you and I want to be able to go further into these other two captions of what God has about Calvary. So, first of all, we know what that day was and what it meant. It's going to be the terminating power of Satan holding man's soul captive. And the Lord Jesus produced that great atonement to release us from that. Now, notice Brother Bram goes on to say, that's what Calvary meant. Men that were in bondage were set free. So first of all, what did it mean? I love the way he says this. First, we should seek what that day meant. Then second, we should see what that day has done for us. Now, what it did for us. Now, third. Now, this seems very odd. Now, third, let's look and see what we ought to do for that day. Well, how is that possible? Now, if we would go back in our minds to Iwo Jima, if we would go back to the Korean conflict, if we would go back to the days of Vietnam, if we would go back to the days of the battles of, say, in Antietam in the Civil War, or we would go to Sharpsburg, or we would go to the days when the, in the Napoleonic Wars, and we would try to go back and say, how could I ever add anything to a day which has been in the past? 
This seems unusual, does it not? But yet Calvary is so designed and the work of Calvary is so designed that you young people sitting here tonight can actually complement what happened 2,000 years ago. There's nothing we can do now that will ever change anything historically about the Civil War. Is that right? Or the Napoleonic Wars or the wars that went on in the time of Babylon and Assyria and so on and so on. But yet we are privileged by the grace of God to be able to complement what happened 2,000 years ago on that day on Calvary of our Lord Jesus when he did on the cross. You say, how is that even possible? Because he testifies and gives us his own life back inside of us. And when we witness that we are receiving today of that power that he did 2,000 years ago, we are actually complimenting that day 2,000 years ago. Now, Robert E. Lee never knew your name. You'll never know him. Those days that have gone by. But this day was different than any day that's ever been. Now, this is where so many people miss the third phase of that day on Calvary. They rejoice of what happened that day. And they can even go to part two and say, well, I'll tell you what, it means this to me and that to me, and that's all well and good. But we don't want to stop at first part or the second part, but we want to go to the third part and say, what can I do to that day on Calvary? What can I do that would be a proof, that would be such a testimony that that day was a success? You believe we can. Now notice he said, so first we should see what that day meant. Second, we should see what that day has done for us. Now if I would stop right now and ask each one of you to come and give your personal testimony and you would say, well, the Lord saved me and I, I, I growed up in a message church. Maybe others would say, I didn't know nothing about religion. I didn't know nothing about God. God got a hold of me and he set me free by the power of the cross. And each one of our testimonies would be a little bit different. Well, that's part one and that's part two. But what about part three? Now, part three is, he said, let us look at what we ought to do for that day. And he repeats it, what we ought to do. Now, it's amazing. Now he goes into the realm of how is that possible? that we would be able to complement or testify, if you will, into the third phase of this day that we would actually make this day even greater. And I hope you understand that in the first century and those Christians for the first few years and they testified the power of the cross and they testified of what God done and no doubt Rome thought that it would fade away and they even said that. They believed that it would until they began to kill these martyrs. And then they took note that these martyrs, Christianos as they call them, and they noticed something so different because it was not just the Christians that they would put in the arena. Now remember, it was Nero that began to take our brothers and sisters. And he would set them out in his gardens, in the beautiful gardens of Nero. They say it was absolutely incredible, the gardens that he had around his palace. And they would take these Christians and they would wrap them up in wool. And they would tie strings around this wool. 
Then they would pour pitch. We know it as tar, T-A-R. And they would pour this pitch on this sheep's wool. And when it would get dark, they would take a torch and light that wool. And the Christians were on the inside of that wool. And he would go through his garden at night and walk the paths and how it was all laid out. Them Christians were his torch. Their bodies were burning. You imagine their flesh as it was melting, merged inside those sheep wool. What kind of a cruel individual this was. But they expected them to scream and beg for mercy. But what was so strange, many of these Christianos, what they would do, they would start singing. So say Brother Rob was right here and Brother Joe was on down the pass a little farther and I would have been on down the pass and then some of you brothers and sisters because they burnt young people too, just like you. But what they found about these Christians was they would start singing and praising and worshiping the Lord Jesus and they would pray And some of their last breaths were, into thy hands I commit my spirit. But they were also burning other people. And you know what they would do? They would curse Rome. They would do all kinds of horrible language and say horrible things, but not the Christians. So what were the Christians doing? The third phase of this right here we're talking about tonight. They were complimenting that day of Calvary. Now, notice how eternal life expresses itself. It's it's so different from any other life that there is. What's the prophet as he breaks into this? Jesus never lived for himself. His life was spent for others. That's perfectly eternal life. Now, none of us have this on our own. We can do things for others and we can do things especially for those we like. That's the way we are, isn't it? Our friends, our buddies, our pals, whatever you call your close circle, your intimate friends, why we would do, we would do just great things for them. But that's not what separates eternal life from human life because sinners will do the same thing. But eternal life would actually do something for the person that you know would kill you. We just don't have that within us as a human. But now Jesus comes to the earth and he's so different even from Moses, even from Ezekiel, Jeremiah, great men that love God, but they did not have eternal life in this way that Jesus did. Now, he said, when you say, well, you go to church and you do good things, that's fine. But when you live your life to yourself. Now, here he doesn't say for yourself, but to yourself. So you pull away from the body. I don't need to go to church. I don't need nobody and they don't need me. That's one of the greatest signs that you do not have eternal life. I don't care how much you run, jump, you can walk the backs of these chairs, but if you feel and see no need to fellowship 
and to be with the saints of God, you need more than what you have. So what if the Lord Jesus would have had that concept? You know what? I've thought about it, and I really don't want to go down there because it's bad. It's bad. I'm going to leave the praise of angels, and from the very first day that I take the breath of life until the last day that I live, they're going to hate me. They're going to run me down. They're going to call me every name they can think of. I'm just not sure that I want to deal with that. So what if he would have stayed in heaven himself? Guess what? I wouldn't be preaching this sermon tonight. You all wouldn't be here listening to it because there would be no that day on Calvary. So eternal life is not living for ourselves or living to ourselves. So I'm just pulling away from everybody. You know, it's risky loving folks. Praise the Lord. How many ever been hurt by people? Friends? Yeah, I'm sure we all have. So it's risky loving folks. Let me bring it on down to your level. It was risky your mom and daddy bringing you into the earth. I didn't figure y'all would say amen on that one. Because there's no way for them to know what you're going to do to them. There's no way at all for them to know how you're going to turn out. Are you going to turn against them one day? Are you going to do something that would bring such reproach on the family and your family would have to hang its head in shame because of something? Well, there's no way for them to know that. So you're just this wee little tiny thing and oh, they just love you so much and they think you'd never break their heart. Well, there's no way for them to know it, are they? So then we get older and we start making friends and we, you know, get a little bit older than that and we like a boy or a girl, you know. We say, oh my goodness, he's just so cute and she's just so pretty. Oh, I think I met my soulmate. Yeah, how many times have we heard that? And yet uh, six months from that time, that soulmate tore your soul out of your body, you felt like. You say, how in the world could they do me that way? Well, there's a risk of getting a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Is that right? There's a risk whenever you have a circle in the church and you say, oh my, we're just, our little clique is so clicky and we all click together because our cliques really click so good and we're just so clicky until somebody gets in the clique that breaks the clique. And then all of a sudden you're thinking, what happened to us? We were just so lovey-dovey and everything was going so good. And you invited somebody else into your clique that you found that wouldn't click with your clique. And now you all ain't clicking so good either, are you? But it's risky. It's risky. It's risky for you. Let me just say it this way. It's risky for you to trust me. Uh It's risky for you to trust any preacher. Any preacher. I know. I've been hurt by lots of them all around the world. They've lied to me like a dog. They've lied to me over money. They've lied to me over that. They've lied over one thing and another. Brother Donnie, do you trust any of them? I sure do. Maybe not them ones that lied, but (laughs) there are ones you can trust. It's risky. You understand? It's risky loving folks and trusting them. So what do a lot of people do? They just pull off to themselves. I'm not going to be hurt by nobody. I'm not going to be hurt by no preacher, so I ain't going to believe in no preachers. Well, if you don't believe in preachers, you don't believe God's word. 
And if you don't believe in saints, you don't believe in God's word. If you don't believe he's going to have a body, you don't believe God's word. Is it worth the risk? Yes, friends. It is worth the risk. Because you know what? You may get hurt by some, but God, if you will allow him, God will put friends in your life that will stick with you through thick and thin. How many knows that's the truth? You're a witness of that right here tonight. So what do we do? Now, eternal life then is living in a way that is beyond what we can live ourselves. Now, notice what that day on Calvary did. It paid the price that could not be paid by anyone else. So those who received the effect of Calvary could receive eternal life into themselves and live a life that no one else can live except those who have eternal life. This is what separates us even in our own human family. Notice what he says, but when you live your life to yourself, you haven't eternal life. Eternal life is living for others. It proved it when he come in the Lamb of God. He lived and had eternal life because he did not live for himself. He lived for others. And you receive eternal life by receiving that day, that day. You don't live for yourself no more. You live for others. Now watch, Brother Brown brings it to himself. Someone said, how can you stand and let anyone call you such bad names, he said. This is his answer. You don't live for yourself. Now, I don't know about you. I tend to shun away from those who call me bad names. Oh, now, come on. Don't sit there and look at me. And you want me to think you all don't do that too? Actually, the Johnson City Press put my picture in there and printed lies that I didn't even say. I dare say if they call me and want an interview again, I'm gonna hang up my phone as fast as I can. Why? I don't trust them. But you know what makes it even worse? Is when we don't trust folks we go to church with. And we don't trust Christians. And that's exactly what Satan wants us to do and get us all isolated. So we just pull away and pull away and pull away and then we don't live for others. Notice what he said. You don't live for yourself. You live for others that you might redeem that man. Now here's the key. You become sons. And the trouble of it is the church has forgot that we're sons. You're taking Christ's place. You're sons. Now listen how he says we're taking Christ's place. So you don't live for yourself. You live for others. I marvel that we preach this. We're taking Christ's place. But we hear it preached so much that it's just in praying for the sick and miracles and signs and wonders and healing. And that's not the only thing that he did. Right here is an avenue that many miracle workers will never live. Why? They don't have eternal life. You see, you can be anointed to pray for the sick and still not have eternal life. Mm. Notice this. Well, Brother Branham, I can live for this brother because he is such a nice man. That's not it. Live for that man who hates you. Whew. 
So how many of us pray for our enemies? Brother James, the only one? How many wants to be more willing to pray for your enemies? Ah, God bless you. Yeah, yeah. So you see, we needed that day to not only forgive us, but to enable us to forgive. I marveled yesterday at the service and the way the Lord led me because I just had planned on spending a few minutes on forgiveness and all of that, Mark eleven twenty two through 24. But the more I got into it, the more I couldn't get out of it. Um, <clears throat> by the time I got home yesterday, I'd started receiving texts and emails and been hearing them all through the day today. And I realized how needful that that really was. Because as mortals, we, we still have this human element about us. And if anybody hurts our feelings, it's a little bit hard for us to deal with them. And we kind of tend to want to shun that person that does us that way. Now, from this point on, y'all don't have to bat your eyes. You don't have to even breathe if you don't want to. You don't have to move around. But I know you're everyone as guilty as a hound dog in a hen house. So whether you move or not, you're already guilty. By association. Association of what? Of being immortal. You're associated with the rest of us. So can you imagine now, Brother Branham telling us this, Live for that man who hates you. Live for that person who would kill you if they could. Wow. So they are actually out to get you. They're out to get you. And what do you do for them? You pray God will forgive them. You can't get them off your heart. You say, God, please. Please, that they need help, Lord. It's, it's that evil spirit on them that's making them feel that way. Lord, I love them with all my heart. Please, God, don't let them die with that terrible spirit on them. Please help them. Oh, I know there's some people that pray for them. Lord God, in the name of Jesus, get even with them. God, I pray fire will fall down from heaven. Oh, my goodness. Some of y'all ain't like James and John. Remember them in the New Testament? They said, Lord, there's some people throw Jesus out of the city. And they said, Lord, you want us to call fire out of heaven like Elijah did? Jesus said, you don't even know what spirit you're of. Yet they thought they were giving a scriptural example. But it was in the Old Testament. But not in the New. Now the person of eternal life has come to do what? Stand here this day on Calvary and give us his life. So his life could come inside of us and it would actually empower us to say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Wow. How many had to do that before? It's an awesome feeling, is it not? It is absolutely awesome. 
whenever someone or more than someone has trespassed against you and you're trying to figure it out and understand it, you say, Lord, I just don't understand. What did I do? And yet from your heart, you can say, Lord, please forgive them. Please don't hold it against them, Lord. Please. Maybe I'm weird, okay? Maybe I'm, I'm really weird and strange. But I know of no one. Listen to me. I know of no one in the earth that I want to see go to hell. No one. And there's people that has treated me awful. Christians and sinners alike. But still, if God would say to me tonight, Donnie, whatever you say will happen. I put their destiny in your hands. Wow. That's a solemn thing, isn't it? I wouldn't have to pray about it. I wouldn't have to think about it. I would just say, Lord, please forgive them. Don't hold nothing against them for my sake. Is anybody else in here weird besides me? Ah, you see. You see what struck your heart? That man from Calvary. That's not in us. That's not in us. We cannot psychologically psych ourselves up to such a state. That means that day on Calvary has had an effect on your life. So you're not just doing part one. You're not just saying part two. But you are testifying back to the effect of what happened on the cross that day that that life that was in him has come in you. But Brother Donnie, I'll forgive them when they come and ask me. He didn't. We have no record that not one Roman soldier, not one priest, not any of the rest of the people there said, Lord Jesus, please forgive me. But he said, Father, forgive them for they don't even know what they do. Do you believe that prayer will stand at the day of judgment? Yes, it will. You mean he forgave them and they never even asked? Look at the thief. That man never even prayed what we would call a sinner's prayer. That man never said he was sorry one time. He never even said the word repent. He never said, I am so sorry. Listen at his words. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Not I'm sorry, please forgive me, pardon me, redeem me, all the vernacular that we use. Was he ignorant? Did he not know? I don't know what the fullness of the story was. But it goes to show me that whether or not you understand the right vernacular, whether or not you understand the right words, can you imagine your prophet? He was so ignorant about God, he didn't even know how to pray, and he went out and tacked a note on a tree because he'd seen God out in nature, and he said, Sir, please, please hear me. That didn't work. So he knelt down on an old coal shed and he held his hands together and said, Sir, 
I, I don't know if you understand my language or not. And he's praying and he's praying. Can you imagine a man being so in America? Didn't even know how to pray, didn't know how to repent. And then this light come hovering on the wall and making a noise. And he said, maybe you can't speak my language. And maybe kind of, I can't understand yours. But if that means you've forgiven me, would you let that light appear again? And the light came down and appeared on the wall. His understanding was so primitive about God. Oh, young people, you're so blessed. You've got youth banquets done for you. You've got youth meetings. You've got all kinds of things that are, that are set specifically for your age. But don't never get to a place that all those things that are done for you, that you get away from the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter, oh, Brother Donnie, I, I can't lead people to Jesus. I can't. Why can't you? Well, I, I, don't, I don't understand how to explain Brother Branham. Don't tell them about Brother Branham first. Get them to the Lord Jesus, and then we'll lead them to the message of the hour. We want to be able to let our light, the third phase of the power of Calvary, be so effective and ongoing until the last member is brought in. Listen to this. He says, live for that person that would kill you if they could. So now be honest tonight. So if you know of one or more people in the earth tonight that would actually kill you, what would be your attitude toward them? Now, Brother Bob King told me a couple of years ago, he said, Brother Donnie, I met some people out in Arizona after I'd preached a certain series that raised a lot of ruckus around the message. And Brother King said, I talked to some of them people and he said, they would kill you if they had the opportunity to do so. But you know what? Because I have eternal life. You know what I did? I prayed God would have mercy on their poor souls because these were message people. Born and raised in the message. How pitiful. How could anybody be born and raised in this message and want to kill somebody? Come on, children. It's the truth. Just because people around this message and sit in a message church don't mean they're born again. So what do we want to do with Calvary? Listen to this. That's what they'd done to him. They killed him and he died that he might save them. That's eternal life. When that's in your bosom, you're facing heaven. You're looking it in the face. When that is in your soul, do you understand? You are looking heaven in the face. Church can't do that for you. Church entity can't do that for you. Attending youth camps can't do that for you. That day on Calvary is the only thing that can do that for all of us. Church isn't going to church to play music and sing songs. But church is a place of correction where judgment begins at the house of God. And we must reckon ourselves dead and alive to Christ that he made the way that we could sacrifice ourselves to his service and follow him. We look and say, oh yes, that's fine, that's fine. 
But if the Son of God had to go to Calvary for crucifixion, every son that comes to God must also go to Calvary. You must also have a Calvary. You must have a day of Calvary. I've got to have that day. Now this is preached in 1960 and Brother Branham had been saved for years and years. I've got to have that day of Calvary. That's what the day of Calvary was. That's what it meant. That you might do and follow and act like Jesus. So what does Calvary mean to you? What that day did for you? Did it stuff you with some kind of theology? Did it make you a stuffed shirt? Or did it make you a Christian? Sold out. And he says, Hallelujah. Does it mean, Mother Donnie, that because I can't pray for my enemies that I don't have eternal life? No. No, it doesn't mean that you don't have it. For some, they do possess it. But it simply means they're not letting that eternal life flow out of them. You know, it's degrees, degrees of the love of God, degrees of the mercy of God, degrees of understanding, and degrees of eternal life. And the closer we get to him, and the more we submit to him, the more he wants to live this out of us automatically. You see, whenever we start serving the Lord, we're learning. We learn how to sing. We learn how to clap our hands. We learn how to pray. We learn how to to do all these things. And the more we learn, then the more we learn to submit and allow eternal life itself to live out of us. And you know what it'll become to you? A second nature that it'll actually be easier for you to love those that hate you than it was before you ever got saved. The way it was, it was easy for you and I to not like folks that didn't like us. It was just our nature. It's just in our nature to do that. And once eternal life comes to that fullness and it starts living out of us, it will be even easier because it's another person inside of you. This is why we need to have mercy and grace for those who just get started out. Ain't that right? Well, some's been started out for 50 years and they still need mercy. I still do. I don't know about you all. I still need mercy and grace. But what are we going to do with that day on Calvary? Look what it done to him. It embarrassed him. You know, as well as I, you see the picture of him hanging on the cross and he had clothes on. That is not a true depiction of Calvary. He hanged there naked. He hanged there beaten, despised, rejected. Angels turned their back on him. He was a curse in the eyes of God. No one helped him. Even his disciples forsook him. That's what Calvary was. Your Calvary may be so painful. Your mama, your daddy, your best friend. But each of us will come to that place. Let me close. Mother Bam says it this way. When Jesus Christ, the Son of God, humbled himself to a hat up body, a spit on face, shame and disgrace, they stripped his clothes off and crucified him before the world. How can you go to Calvary and come away with anything different than what he was, a disgrace, a shame. But let's be honest, young people. The majority of Christendom in the day that we're living 
the way them preachers preach Calvary and the way they preach it to their people. Their people come away from what they think is Calvary, not a shame, not a reproach, but they walk away from there with what they feel like is a license to sin more or less every day and have an excuse for living a loose, cold, Laodicean life. Well, it proves to me they've not been to the real Calvary. Because if you and I, if they ever get to the real Calvary, we'll come away disgraced, shamed, embarrassed. We will not want to take advantage of the blood. We will not want to take advantage of the cross. Well, Jesus died so I could be saved and Jesus died so I could, I could live this way and I don't have to live that holy way. I don't have to do this and that. That's what his blood is for. He knew I couldn't live, right? He knew I couldn't be that kind of a Christian so I can go ahead and do what I want to do and that he takes care of all of that. That's not the Calvary that we have in the Bible. It brings you to a shame, a reproach. Notice this. Or you say, they'll kick me out. Let them kick. (laughs) They'll kick me out. Let them kick. Have your day at Calvary. When you listen to this tape, it's amazing. It's, it's preached in September the 25th, 1960. And I heard it today and I rewound it again when Brother Brim said this because it's just like this wasn't in his notes. It was just so inspired to him. And he says this, have your day at Calvary. God will have his way with you. And then he says, let me quote that again. Have your day at Calvary. And God will have his, day, his way with you. Have your day at Calvary. And God will have his way with you. Now watch him as he prays. Lord God, take us all the way up to Calvary just now. Now remember, Brother Branham has been saved for decades This is preaching the Bradham Tabernacle. He's preaching to people that have been saved for decades. Let us get away from self. Lord, from the fear of man, from the fear of what somebody else is going to say. You see, if that's still what controls us, well, I'm scared somebody will laugh at me. Oh, I can't worship the Lord like that. I, I can't do this or that or the other. Well, again, you need to go to Calvary to die to that. But Brother Donnie, I'm done saved. But fear is keeping you from being what God wants you to be. Notice this as he prays. God, let me be crucified today. I said this today too when I heard this. God, let me be crucified today. Let me crucify today myself and my ideas that I might live with Christ and live for others. What a joint, great plan of God to live with Christ and for others. So not just your best and closest friend, but maybe reach out to that one. You see what really causes cliques and clans in a church? It's in a family, it's in schools, it's, it's always been that way. 
Sometimes it's just easier to be friends to those that's more like us, more likable. Now let's just face facts. Some folks are easier to be friends with and some folks are more likable than others. Now y'all ain't even batting an eye, are you? But it's the truth. But what if that person that's say outside the cliques of some of our young people and they're wanting to be inside, they're wanting to be included. And you'll say, oh, they're really weird, man. I mean, they're just really, maybe they're backwards. Maybe they don't know what to say. Maybe they feel inferior. They don't feel apart. Well, why don't one of you or you or you or you move out of your comfortable clique and live for others? Hallelujah. Maybe that person that you'd look at and they got green hair and tattooed from the tiptoe of their finger up behind their ears and smell like marijuana and everything. They say, I'd never have nothing to do with them. How do you know that a seed of God don't lay on that heart? And if we would inconvenience ourselves just enough to say, hey, how you doing? How you doing? Well, what if they turn me down? Well, they may. I've been turned down plenty of time, but I keep on asking anyhow. Why? I wasn't going to say it, but let me go ahead. Brother Bram closes out this sermon. Quoting what Jesus said, these works that I do, will you do and also greater? And he said, it's not just laying hands on the sick, but he said, the greater work is this imparting eternal life. If I pray for you, you live long enough, you'll get sick again. But if I can lead you to the Lord Jesus and you can embrace eternal life, you will never get away from that again. Not only me, but you. If you can witness and you can say, God, what can I do? What can I do for this day of Calvary? I see what it did and I see what it did for me. What can I do for it? What can I do for that day? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for that day on Calvary. Thank you for the shame, the reproach. Thank you for all that you bore for us. And then secondly, we thank you for what it's done for us. It's changed us. It's made us different people. But now, Lord, we want to say, what can we do for that day? Lord God, I've spent the majority of my life trying to live and carry on the effects of that day. 
Lord, I don't know how much longer I've got left on the earth, but however long I've got, let me live the rest of my life living in the third phase of that, Father. If I can lead one here and one there and one somewhere else to eternal life. Oh, Jesus, I've prayed for many people and you've healed them and they turn right around and get sick again in a week or a month or two. But Lord God, if we can be able to be a tool that you can lead someone to eternal life, they'll never lose that, Lord. That day on Calvary. Help us, Lord Jesus, to not only love our best friends and love those that love us, but to love those that would kill us, to reach out beyond our pleasant boundaries and our circles, Lord. Grant it, Lord Jesus. Help us, Father, we pray. Thank you, Lord God. How many of you tonight would like to stand to your feet as a witness? You want to say, what can I do for that day? What can I do for that day? You can see the day, can't you? You can see what that day meant. I mean, it can testify of what it's done for you. Now, what have you done for it? What have you done for that day? Well, Brother Donnie, I'm just focusing mainly on what it done for me. What it done for you wants to transform you so much that you'll be a living testimony of what you can do for that day. That you will testify. Somebody will see you at school, see you at college, see you on, on your job, wherever it is. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. He said, no man lights a candle and puts it under a bushel. Be counterproductive, right? So you light a candle and then you take a basket and you hide it. But he said, you lift it up so that everybody in the house can be able to see it. What are we doing? We're testifying back of what that day done for us. Don't wait, young people. Well, whenever I get in my 30s, I'll start witnessing. No, don't wait till then. Witness now. How many young people out there that maybe you may know run across to get peace? They have to shoot up at night. They have to smoke something. They have to take a pill. Don't wait till you're 20 or 30 or 40. When the Lord puts it on your heart, let your light so shine that God can take your life and you can testify of what that day meant for you. And you'll say, now, Lord, this is what I want to do for that day. I want to be a light. I want to be a witness. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Brother Jesse, let's just worship him a little bit, can we? You love him with all your hearts. Aren't you grateful for that day on Calvary? Aren't you grateful for what it done for you? Aren't you grateful God's opened your eyes a little bit more tonight to realize you can do something for that day? You can begin to testify, share the goodness of God. I, I, I wouldn't know what to say. Well, Brother Bram said, if you can't do no more than just tell how the fire got lit, tell that. 
that you were once different, but God by his power changed you. Thank you, Lord. One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin. He dwelt among men, my example is he. The word became flesh and the light shine among us. His glory Thank you. 
buried, he carried my sin far away. Rising, he justified. Calvary was, but what Calvary can be if we extend it to other people. Let's just sing, uh, flow through me, Holy Spirit. Samaritan to someone 
announcement? Are we are we having choir practice? Are we going to have it in here or in the music room? In the music room, choir practice right after the service today. And um, what a service. I thank God for church and how clean I feel after, after a service like that and what Jesus did for me. And what, what hit my heart too, um, there are many times I have witnessed to people and I want so deeply and for them to see it. And I know that they're close to me and they are dear to me, their family or their friends. And they just can't. And they love me and yet they cannot see it. What God, God is the only savior and it was up to him. But remember, there was someone, Brother Larry witnessed to me and I told Brother Donnie this, it was five years. It wasn't, I'd like to say that I just saw the Lord in the first second he mentioned the name Jesus. It was five years. So be patient. It's on God's time and just let your light shine. Because it, and it, it hurts so much. You love the Lord so much. You want others to see what you see. And maybe they will, but to whatever capacity God has ordained them to receive. But you love the Lord so much that you want to share it. And it, and it, it hurts so much. But it's all in love because he hurt for us, right? So God bless you all. Thank you for a wonderful service. God bless our seniors and our graduates. Thank you, everybody. Have some good fellowship, love each other. And I think we heard forgive everybody and don't have a click. Certainly appreciate being here tonight. Appreciate Brother Donnie pouring out his heart. Let's uh, pick it up a little bit as we get ready to go and sing out Calvary. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified. Knowing not it was for me, he died on Calvary. Okay. 